0: all the people who make this meeting possible. I hope sincerely, and I know you get tired of me saying this, but I hope sincerely that it is as absolutely stunning where you are, whether you're listening live on December 4th, 2021, or you are listening on a podcast, I hope it's as stunning where you are as it is in Arizona today. It is about 68 degrees. We're headed to 77 degrees. The nearest cloud is somewhere out over Texas, and it is just stunning outside. And as we say here in Arizona, we don't say this during the summer. We say this is why we live here. It's a machaya. Machaya is a good Yiddish word. A machaya means it's just perfect. It's just a pleasure. You get into a hot tub or you get into a pool, and it's just perfect. And you say ah. It's a machaya, and that means it's just perfect, just wonderful. So I hope it's that way where you are as well. We are here to study the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. But before I make any kind of uh, enroad into the forward to the first edition, I just want to remind all of you that registration for the OA birthday is open and that's going to be the 14th, 15th, and 16th of January, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, and that's going to be strictly a Zoom, um, a Zoom convention. It's going to be fantastic. To register for the OA birthday, simply go to Los Angeles Overeaters Anonymous. And while you're on Los Angeles Overeaters Anonymous, You'll see a thing for the birthday, click on birthday, and then click on registration. It's $30. When you think of all the money that you spent to get junk to put in your mouth, this is a definite bargain. So I hope that you will all partake of the OA birthday, which will come up January 14th, 15th, and 16th and uh, it will be on Zoom strictly. Anyway, we are here to study the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and today is that day, which will not come up again for many months, that we're starting over again from we started over last week, we did the preface, we did the title page. And today we're going to start with the forward to the first edition. And as we look at the forward to the first edition, and that's if you have a fourth edition big book, that's going to be on page X, I, 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 or 13 in Roman numerals, 13 in Roman numerals, it says here, this is the forward as it appeared in the first printing of the first edition back in 1939. And I know I did cover a little bit of this last week, but just for the sake of continuity, I'm going to review the first little bit of it again, because it's almost sinful not to. It says, We of Alcoholics Anonymous, let's stop right there. We of Alcoholics Anonymous, very, very important because the first word of the book, the forward to the first edition is we. What's the first word of the steps? we admitted we were powerless. And so a lot of people read that first step and they say, I have to admit that I'm powerless over food. It doesn't say that. It says, we admitted we were powerless over food. Now, if you want to come with me to page 570 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, fourth edition, page 570, okay? 570, this is appendix number three, the medical view of AA. On page 570, it says, and I'm quoting, Dr. W.W. Bauer broadcasting under the auspices of the American Medical Association in 1946 over the NBC network said in part. Now, Bauer was a psychiatrist. Bauer was a doctor and a psychologist. He was a psychiatrist and he was broadcasting not as a member of AA, which he was not he was broadcasting in support of a paper that had been written uh, saying that this particular psychiatrist believed that alcoholism was an illness. And that psychiatrist was Harry Tebow, who was on the alcoholic board, and he was Bill's psychiatrist. And In 1949, the American Medical Association, the American Psychiatric Association, accepted alcoholism as an illness. And that's when Silkworth told Bill for the 11th printing of the first edition, you can put my name in there now, which before he wouldn't let his name be in there because the AMA and the American Psychiatric Association would not accept alcoholism as an illness. But let's see what Dr. Bauer goes on to say say, Alcoholics Anonymous are no crusaders, not a temperance society. They know that they must never drink. They help others with similar problems. In this atmosphere, the alcoholic over, often overcomes his excessive concentration upon himself. So this is a reference that the, the one of the unbelievable things that most of us have in common is we are very self-involved. It's all about me, 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 me. I'm either the greatest or I'm the worst. I'm the best or I'm the worst. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. How, what is that the action of? That's the action of the demonic destructive ego, And the ego has three jobs, doesn't it? The ego has three jobs. Make me right. Make me feel good right now and make me different from everybody else. And that's why I constantly believed throughout my life that I was either better than you or worse than you. I knew how to look up at you. I knew how to look down at you. But the ego, when it's in recession, because of the working of the steps, I can now look at you. I can look at you and I can see that I am just another bozo on the bus. And the two steps that are the emancipators, the great emancipators are five and nine, because that puts us in touch with the fact that we're just human beings and that we're no different, no better than anybody else. But let's finish this Appendix three, and then we'll go back. Learning to depend upon a higher power and absorb himself in his work with other alcoholics, he remains sober day by day. The days add up into weeks, the weeks into months and years. Let's go back to the forward to the first edition, and we'll talk a little bit about what we just read. What Dr. Bauer is saying here is that in order for a recovery to be complete, we must get involved with other people. When I find myself in a situation where I'm too scared, too angry, too happy, too whatever, too lonely, too whatever, what I ask myself or what somebody will ask me is, what are you doing for other people? What are you doing for other people? Now, the book was written so that you could use it to recover. But what we find is that the value of the fellowship is unbelievable. Now, can I recover just on fellowship? No, I cannot. The fellowship alone will not give me a recovery it can't if you could cure me if you could relieve my compulsive overeating i bet you would because you look like nice people but since you can't we have to get in touch with the fact that i cannot cure you any more than i can make a goldfish play the saxophone but here's what i can do we are all part of each other's recovery. By serving you and you contacting me, we grow in our recovery. So this word we of Alcoholics Anonymous, and there's gonna be many references to the fellowship, especially when we get to chapter two, there's gonna be a lot of references to the fellowship. And the fellowship provides me with knowledge, identification, purpose, comfort. It provides me with various things. How do you do that? A lot of you will say, I don't wanna make phone calls. I don't wanna bother people. I need to get those phone calls probably more than you need to make those phone calls because in your struggle, in your success, In your mundane everyday life, you bring me hope, you bring me strength, and you bring me identification that I cannot get anywhere else. That's why we have the stories in the back of the book. That's why Bill's story is on page one now, because what we do with Bill's story is we identify in rather than identify out. I don't look to compare and despair. I look to identify and recover. So I know we're spending a lot of time on this word we, but this word we is extremely important because we gives me purpose. One of the things that gets me out of bed on Saturday morning is I know that I'm gonna be doing this. And I probably benefit from this more than any of you. I benefit from this because this is part of what gives me purpose to my life. In giving service to the next individual, taking phone calls, making phone calls, getting to meetings, sharing on meetings, listening at meetings, participating in the fellowship, I have not found it necessary to compulsively overeat in almost 23 years, 22 years, 11 months. And so this fellowship is part of God's recipe that brings me the peace so that I do not find it necessary to eat Oreo cookies. Very, very important is the fellowship for a person like me. I need you, I need the companionship I need to break down that isolation. You see, you've heard me say this before. If you're not new to this, you've heard me say this before. The disease of compulsive overeating, alcoholism, drug addiction, gambling, whatever, love addiction, sex addiction, whatever addiction that a person may have, The addiction is a beautifully efficient abuser. And what is the first thing that an abuser does? The first thing that an abuser does is it isolates the abused. It cuts you off from any support. And if it does that effectively and it isolates you, now it can move in for the kill. Compulsive overeating is a perfect abuser. It isolates me from friends. It isolates me from support. It convinces me that if I wasn't so stupid or you weren't so mean, I wouldn't eat the way I would eat. And it keeps me from getting the help that I need. It keeps me from making contact with people who might be able to help me like OA meetings and all kinds of recovery tools. And so this word we is extremely important. We means that I am not alone. We means you are not alone and not being alone is vital. Because I believed from the time I was five, six years old, that the way I ate and the way I thought about food and the way that I lived with food and without food were secret unto me. I did not know, I did not believe that anybody else thought about food like me and reacted to food like me, because all I knew was the way I reacted. And everybody else in the world, except my mom and dad, everybody else in the world seemed to react differently to food, eating, and they're different. Food is the food that I eat, which triggers the physical allergy and eating as an activity was very different to other people. They treated it in a very benign fashion. They didn't engage in eating with the zeal, with the enthusiasm, with this this voracious enthusiasm that I had for eating. To them, it was no freaking big deal. Eat lunch or staple papers eat lunch or do homework. They were pretty equal to to most of these people. To me, eating was the, the great reward. It was everything. And so I came into this program and I found females, males, black, white, green, yellow, Jewish, Gentile, Protestant, Catholic, Muslim, Buddhist, you name it, that thought about food the way I did, which amazed me. And they reacted to food the way I did. And food and eating were as important to them as they were to me. And I was shocked. But I was comforted. A number of years ago, going back a number of years ago, I had a real pain in the hip. I thought you, I bet you thought I was going to say something else, but I had a real pain in my hip over here on the right, left side of my body. My hip was in bad shape, real bad shape. And I was walking six miles a day in those days. Now I only walk three. Of course, I'm an older man now, but I'm going back about 15 years and I used to, maybe 18 years, and I used to walk six miles a day. And I was hurting for certain. I couldn't get in a car. I couldn't get out of a car. I couldn't go to the bathroom. I couldn't, I mean, it was brutal just to get out of the shower you know, because I had the bathtub thing and I still do actually, but it was brutal. And I went to a doctor right over here in Scottsdale. And he said to me what my wife had been telling me for a year and a half. She'd say, you need a new hip kiddo. And I didn't want to hear that because I was afraid of the operation. And I had to go to a class. See, in order to get your hip done, you have to go to a class. And the reason you have to go to the class is the insurance company doesn't want to get sued. So you have to go to this class about what they're going to do to you and how it's all going to go down and what you're going to have to do, what you're going to have to pay, what you're going to have to bring with you to the hospital, blah, 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 blah. And a nurse got up there. And I'm assuming she was a nurse. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know, but I thought she was a nurse and she got up there and she told us clinically what was going to happen. And then this other guy came in and he started talking about us, talking to us about, there was maybe eight or nine of us in this class. And he said, you're going to have to bring a check for this amount. You're going to have to bring the morning that you're here. You have to bring your insurance card you have to bring this and bring that. Don't bring this. Don't, Don't wear jewelry don't put deodorant on that day. Don't ladies don't know makeup. No, this, no, don't do those things. They gave us a list of do's and don'ts. Then we had them in writing, but they were going over it with us so that we didn't, you know, we understood it for the insurance. Then this guy comes in and he's about 50 and he's running in there and he's bebopping around. And what did he say? He said, I had a hip replacement one year ago. Now I started paying attention. The rest of the stuff I just realized, A, my wife is going to make sure of all this stuff. I'm not going to have to get involved in it. My wife is going to go there. I'm not married to her anymore, but she was pretty efficient at everything she ever did. She went there days before and made sure they were paid and made sure every duck was in a row. She made sure of all that stuff, and while I'm on the subject of ducks, they got clobbered yesterday, so I'm very sad today because I love my Oregon ducks, but anyway, that's for another time, and I knew what medicines, and they give you a shopping list, you got to get an extended toilet seat, you got to get a cane, we're going to send you home with a walker, blah, blah, blah. I was ready to vomit. I thought, how long is this thing going to last, for God's sakes? And then this guy came in, as I said, and he said, I had a hip replacement a year ago. Now you've got my attention. What does the big book say? In order for the message to have depth and weight, in order for the message to be carried, it must have depth and weight. Here was the first guy that got up there that was over the age of 23, 25 tops, Number one, number two, he had the operation. I wanna hear what he has to say. Why is that important? Because I could identify with him and he had the same experience that I was about to have. And if you're here with 91 days of abstinence, and you talk to a person with 92 days of abstinence, they are better equipped to tell you what to expect than anybody else on the face of this earth. If you're coming in here with no abstinence, there are people in here that will identify with you and you with them, and they will tell you what to expect. And if you're coming in here with a million years of abstinence, the same thing is true. We may be in Dublin, Georgia and Dublin, Ireland. We may be in in Illinois, in Morton Grove, Illinois or Chicago, Illinois. We may be in Pennsylvania. We may be in Norway or Sweden. We may be in Russia or Maine or, or Michigan or we may live in God knows where. But we are bound together as people who have escaped disaster, and only people that have escaped disaster can identify with what's going on. And the more different kinds of people that we hope to see here in the future, and I mean people of color who we have failed, and people of all walks of life Native Americans and Hispanic Americans and and whatever sexual, whatever you are, we need you because we are better off when we are different. We are better off, stronger, better equipped when we are different. You know, you go to, I don't, I don't want to get too sidetracked because I know my brain. I go to most of these conventions. I don't have the time to scroll through here because I'm trying to think of what I'm going to say. I'm trying to think of where I am. I don't have, there, I, all I see is there's 115 of you and I see all the names that begin with A. That's all I see. I I don't have the time. It would look very strange if I was going through here while you probably would would drop out of this thing and you wouldn't come back. But what I can tell you is I have spoken in many conventions of a thousand people, 1200 people. And you would think that this disease only affects white Americans. we, We don't see enough representation of other minority groups. We just don't see it enough. So I hope to God, one of my prayers to God is that we will see more people who are different as we move forward in the Zoom era. And I call this the Zoom era of OA, because so many of the live meetings are not there anymore. People are Zooming and God took the, uh, he took the uh, pandemic and he made all of OA, I think into one group, one meeting, because we have so much geographic diversity now that it's wonderful. It's just so fantastic. Okay, not enough preaching for today about that because this is a this is a favorite subject of mine and I can get started on it. We of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And there's that word again. What's the second most ask question in a vision for you. What's the difference between recovered and recovering? Recovered is someone who's had a spiritual awakening. Recovering is someone who's working toward it. That's all it means. And people get hung up in this word. And what should I call myself? Don't, you don't have to call yourself anything. It's, it's nothing to get hung up on. Don't overthink it. You don't have to overthink it. There's no membership card. I'm Fred and I'm recovered. I'm Mary and I'm recovering. Nope, There's no, don't overthink it. It's really not. To show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. To show other alcoholics how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. Come with me to page 45 in the fourth edition, page 40 five of the fourth edition and i'm going to show you something here it's toward the middle of the page on page 45 it's in the chapter we agnostics and it says well that's exactly what this book is about do you see that toward the middle of the page well that's exactly what this book is about now the next sentence is the thesis line of the big book of a.a it is the thesis line because it encapsulates the entire purpose and and <clears throat> excuse me the entire purpose of the book its main object what it's talking about it refers to the book its main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself which will solve your problem so the purpose of this book as stated on page 45 is to Help me find a, enable me to find a power greater than myself, which will solve my problem. Let's go to page 20. Let's go to page 20. And that's in the chapter, there is a solution. And on page 20, toward the top of the page, we will see the paragraph that begins in response to the posed question, what do I have to do? The response is, it is the purpose of this book to answer such questions specifically. So, if the purpose of the book stated three times is to enable me to find a power greater than myself, which will solve my problem, it's to answer such questions specifically and to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered, is the main purpose of this book. Is that consistent with each other? Yes, it is. There's no inconsistency here. There's no inconsistency here. The main purpose of this book is to enable me to find a power greater than myself, which will solve my problem. How are you going to do that? You're going to give me specific information, precisely specific information as to how to do it. And then you're going to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered all consistent. It all ties in with one another. And when the big book wants to tell me something that's vital to my survival, it will always tell it to me several times. There's almost never a point where the big book will just give me information once and then hang me out to dry. Because Bill Wilson was not the author of the book, in my opinion, he just scribed the book. Bill Wilson had three and a half years of sobriety. He was 43 years old when the book was written with three and a half years of sobriety. And I have had three and a half years of abstinence and I have 22 years of abstinence as it sits right now, 22 years, almost 23. And I'm lucky if I can knock out a coherent text message for the love of God. So I believe that God wrote the book and God is the perfect teacher. And God knows that the only pure teaching is through repetition. Repetition is the purest form of teaching. And I don't know about you, but any teacher that I had in any subject, whether it was Kindergarten, whether it was senior year of college, whatever that was, taught through repetition. Very, very important. So Let's continue, but these are the things we have the time to go into in this forum that you don't have the time to go into necessarily, A, with a sponsor, or B, during your regular meetings. And that's why it's beautiful for us to be able to pull some of this apart, examine it in a kind of a podantic way, kind of a detailed way, so that we can look at it. And hopefully, if we look at it in this way, then it will have more meaning and it will give you more insight into what's going on here as we go through it. Let's continue here for them and i'm on the top of page xiii i'm in the middle of that first paragraph for them we hope these pages will prove so convincing that no further authentication will be necessary so what they're attempting to do here is give you the information in a way so that you won't question it because while you're questioning the information you can die in the disease, you can die in the illness. So you have to sort of trust it. And they're hoping here that they will give you the information, not only in a discernible way, but an understandable way. And in a way that will give you the comfort and direction that we all desperately need. Let's continue. We think this account of our experiences, plural, Will be help help will help everyone to better understand the alcoholic. Who's the only one that really has to understand though? It's me. Why do we say that at, at the meeting? Hi, I'm Harlan. I'm a compulsive overeater. Do I say that at every meeting because you need to know that I'm a compulsive overeater? No. We say that at the meeting because I need to know that I'm a compulsive overeater. We don't say it for others. We say it for ourselves because remember that this this disease has a built-in forgetter. Alcoholism, incredibly short memory and we have a mental blank spot, which will not allow us to remember what the food does to us, it will only let us focus in on what the food will do for us. When I think in my mind about eating a pizza or a cake, I never think about, oh God, you know, when I was a kid, there was a commercial for Alka-Seltzer and there was a commercial, There was a guy sitting on the bed and he goes, I can't believe I ate the whole thing. And the wife says, yes, you did, or something like that. And then she brings him some Alka-Seltzer and he feels better. But he's sitting on the side of the bed and he looks just miserable. He goes, I can't believe I ate the whole thing. But when I think about eating a whole chocolate cake, just to take that as an example, a whole chocolate cake, in my mind, I do not think about the diarrhea. I do not think about the farting. I do not think about the horrible feeling that I get when my shirt doesn't quite fit. Now I'm wearing a t-shirt today. And I wear t-shirts most of the time. I live in hot weather country. This is one of the hottest parts of the country. I don't wear button down shirts all that often. But one of the feelings that I dislike the most is when I wear a button down shirt. And thank God all my shirts fit just fine. Thank you, God, very much. One of the feelings I hate the most, and the reason I hate this is because it brings back nightmarish memories for me is when I'm wearing a shirt and it doesn't really fit and I'm shoving it in my pants and I'm loosening it and I'm pulling it out and I'm unbuttoning it when I think no one's looking, but the shirt doesn't fit or even a t-shirt, you could be wearing a t-shirt and if it doesn't fit, that is one of the most brutal feelings I've ever had because it brings back, the most nightmarish feelings, the most nightmarish uh, thoughts that I've ever had in my entire life. So my brain will not allow me to think about that. What my brain thinks about is the frosting and the cake and the this and the that. That's where my brain goes. So my brain is not focused like a normal person and says, oh, you better not eat that cake. You're going to be farting your head off. Oh, you better not eat that cake. You're going to be in the bathroom with diarrhea that I wouldn't wish on anybody. Oh, you better not eat that cake. It's going to make your shirt not fit. When I was a much younger man I lived in Eugene Oregon and there was a song I never forget this it was the funniest song it says tequila makes her clothes fall off and that was the most hysterical song I've ever heard in my I am not no, I am not a country western kind of guy i I'm I'm just not I'm not against it I just It's not my genre, not my thing. But when my kids, the kids that sold for us, when they would have their music on and that song would come on, tequila makes her clothes fall off, I would just laugh and laugh and laugh. It is the funniest song I've ever heard in my entire life. But anyway, chocolate chocolate cake makes my pants and shirt and underwear and skin not fit but I can't remember that. So I say I'm Harlan, I'm a compulsive overeater to give myself that reminder that I have an illness. I have an illness of the mind and I have an illness of the body. And not only will my shirt not fit, not only will my pants not fit, but my skin won't fit and my heart won't fit, and my lungs won't fit, and my blood pressure won't fit, and I'll die. I'm 67 years old. I cannot physically handle the onslaught of another relapse. I will die. Is that thought enough to keep me out of the food? No. It's not, I wish it was, but every one of you, there's 123 people here besides me. So there's 124 people here. Every one of you has walked off the cemetery. Every one of you have cried tears. Every one of you misses somebody, especially now at holiday time that was taken from us too early because they would not seek that recovery that is in this book, they wouldn't do it. Whether they died of alcohol, drugs, gambling, whether they died of a food addiction, whether they died of whatever it is that they died, whether they ingested something, whether they practiced a certain behavior, we miss them. And we are sad because we had to say goodbye to them. The saddest words of tongue or pen are these few words, It might have been. But we're here today, and hopefully with these reminders, we can live out our lives with purpose and rhythm and serve God to the best of our ability. And what is one of the ways that I serve God to the best of my ability? I serve him by being of service to one of his children I can sit in that synagogue every Saturday morning if I want to. And I can pray until the walls cave in. And I'm not saying don't go to synagogue or church or mosque and pray. I'm not saying don't do that. I pray every day of my life, especially in the morning and at night. I do my step 11s and I do step 10 prayer throughout the day. But I can pray and pray and pray and pray. I turn around and I offer comfort to another person and I can feel myself getting closer to God. The main purpose of this book is to help you find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. It says in another part of the book, our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. And when a newcomer is coming in, somebody is coming in that is struggling or they're not struggling or whatever, and I can comfort them in any way, it always, 100% of the time will bring me closer to a feeling of God and further away from the desire to eat chocolate cake or potato chips or God, knows, whatever is gonna destroy me. And It doesn't have to be something as outrageous as a chocolate cake. I, I once talked to a man uh, and he went to a place in Texas and he was calling me up and he, we were talking about our lives. He went to a place in Texas. I don't know what the name of the place is and I don't care. He ate a 64 ounce steak and he got the steak for free, a 64 ounce steak. How many pounds is that? It's at least three. Isn't that three pounds? At least 16, 16 is 32, 16 is four, it's more. It's three pounds, 58, it's almost four pounds. It's three pounds and plus of steak, plus potato and whatever else he ate. He ate- What Uh, is it? Somebody's unmuted. He ate 64 ounces of steak at some place in Texas. And I thought to myself, I would not be able to get home from that without going for Twinkies and Oreos, because that would definitely trigger the allergy. Now is there sugar in steak? Yes, there is. If you put ketchup or barbecue or whatever, even the stuff they put on, like that seasoned salt and stuff, that's that's got sugar in it. But anyway, he ate sixty-four ounces of steak, and I was able to talk to him, and he's working his program today, and he's got three years of abstinence, three years of abstinence, and he's going to be getting his four-year chip, hopefully. Hopefully, he'll be getting his four-year chip in February of next year. Let's hope he can hang on and do it. I know he's here today. So I'm I'm talking about you, not because I'm talking about you, but because your story is so poignant and your story is so educational. Let's continue with the book. And I'm pulling for you. You know I do. Many do not comprehend that the alcoholic is a very sick person. Let's stop right there. Many do not comprehend that the compulsive overeater is a very sick person. We think we're normal people with an eating problem, or normal people with an anorexia problem, or normal people with a bulimia problem. We are not normal people. We are sick. We are sick in the mind and sick in the body, and we need help. And we must get that help every single day. I am a very sick person. Now, there's other Mishigas that I have. Mishigas is craziness, uh, which is different from Narishkite. Narishkite is foolishness. Mishigas is craziness. I'm giving you some Yiddish words of the day here but I've got a lot of crazy things in my head, crazy ideas in my head that have nothing to do with food or eating, but I am a very sick person. How many people do you think are normal that ate the way I ate and sought it yet again? And again, and again, and again. And again, in spite of every reason not to seek that food, I looked for that food in every corner of the universe. I spent money I didn't have to get the food. That's crazy. And if we get, not if, when we get to chapter three, more about alcoholism, we're gonna see that this word insanity Applies to me, and I bet to all of you that we have a form of insanity. Normal people would get in trouble with alcohol or drugs or food or whatever, and they would just quit. But we are not normal. And it says, many do not comprehend that the alcoholic is a very sick person. Who's the only one that has to comprehend that I'm a very sick person? Me me. And besides, we are sure that our way of living has its advantages for all. And that means that I am of the belief that if everybody would do this, it would be great. but I, I, I have no such uh, I have no such power. I have no such power. It is important. I'm in the middle of page 13, XIII forward to the first edition. It is important that we remain anonymous because we are too few at present to handle the overwhelming number of personal appeals which may result from this publication. Being mostly business or professional folk, we could not well carry on our occupations in such an event. We would like it understood that our alcoholic work is an avocation. What that means is it's not your full-time job. You have your job, you have your family, you have your whatever, and this is an avocation. Now you have to remember something too. This is very, very important. Alcohol in in the 1930s had a very, very different stigma than what it has today. The book was written in 37 and 38. Part of it was written in 39. And on April the 10th, 1939, this book came off the printing press and it has remained mostly unchanged since that time. Some of the stories are different, yes, and they changed step 12 to having had a spiritual awakening or experience to awakening and they added appendix two. But the book works. The book works, but what we wanna remember is that the stigma of alcoholism was very different in those days. Now the word sponsor is not in the book. Let me tell you a little history about this word sponsor. Hold on one second. I think I have a drinking problem. I keep spilling on myself here. I don't know what that I didn't used to do that when I was young, but now that I'm old I must, must I don't know what that's about. All of a sudden I got old, I spill on myself. Anyway, the stigma of alcoholism was such that if I were your employer or you were my employer, let's go that way. You are my employer and I work for your company, whether you owned an ice cream shop, whether you owned a shoe store, whether you owned Uh, a tire company or a construction company, it wouldn't matter. And you found out that I was an alcoholic, you could fire me. This was the depression. Jobs were hard enough to come by as it was. But if you found out that I was an alcoholic, you could fire me. Today, that becomes an uphill battle. You also have to remember too, that the alcoholics that were in the meetings the oxford group and then after we split to aa they were very afraid of this stigma and they didn't if they didn't know you they were very weary of having you in the meeting they didn't know who you were or what your damn agenda was so the word sponsor in the 1930s and 40s was a person, not the 40s, not the, I shouldn't say that, the 40s, no. The 30s, up until Clarence Snyder started, the, he was the father of modern sponsorship, was Clarence Snyder. And we're going to be talking about him in the months to come. Clarence Snyder was the first one to sponsor out of the big book like this. But anyway, what they were was simply this. I have a friend, his name is Mo and I drank with Mo, and I know Mo is an alcoholic. I'm in the meeting. I'm I'm a member of the Main Street AA group in New York City, whatever that might be. And this guy Mo comes in and I vouch for him, yes, this guy is a lush, this guy is an alcoholic, he's a drinker, I've gotten drunk with him many, many times. Now everybody's good. I am his sponsor in the sense I'm not helping him recover. I'm vouching for him that he is indeed a real alcoholic. See where we're going with that? Because the stigma was very, very different. Now, does that mean we should blow our anonymity? No, it does not. Why do we need anonymity? What is the Purpose of anonymity. Listen, we're an enlightened society, and no matter where you are or who you are, whether you eat with chopsticks or you eat with a knife and a fork, you stand on your head to eat or you don't stand on your head to eat. No, 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 no. Let's take a look at anonymity. And I know you hadn't planned on me talking about anonymity, but I fooled you. I waited to spring it on you. Anonymity protects the Society of Overeaters Anonymous from you and me. Let's take a look at some things that happen every day. Every day. Okay. There's Fred and Mary. They're married. They're both doing Weight Watchers. Don't they look good? Or they're both doing any of the paying way. It doesn't have to be Weight Watchers. It could be any of the paying way. Ah, they look fantastic. Ah, they look great. Now, three months later, I see Fred and Mary, and they're gorging themselves in a restaurant, and they've gained back not only their weight, they're up, you know, it's always the slingshot thing, you lose 100, gain 150, you lose 150, you gain 200, you know, it's always that bonus program. Now, if I'm going to go around telling everybody that I'm in Overeaters Anonymous and I'm a big shot in Overeaters Anonymous, how do I know that tomorrow I won't be eating donuts in the window at Krispy Kreme? I don't know that. And there's no way to guarantee except by working the steps. But what if I don't work the steps tomorrow and all of a sudden eating donuts in the window of Krispy Kreme seems like the most natural thing in the world. What are people going to think? Are they gonna think, oh, that Harlan, I bet he didn't do steps 10, 11, and 12. I bet he didn't call his sponsor. I bet he didn't get to a meeting. No, they're not gonna think that at all. They're gonna think and say, Oh that overeaters anonymous? Oh that doesn't work. There he is eating donuts. They're not going to understand that overeaters anonymous does not tell me to go eat donuts. What overeaters anonymous is is a workable method by which I can not eat donuts one day at a time for the rest of my life. But if I choose to eat donuts, What can Overeaters Anonymous do? It can shield itself from my damage when anonymity is in place. Does that make sense? I hope it does. So anonymity protects me, excuse me, protects the society, the program of Overeaters Anonymous, the fellowship of Overeaters Anonymous from me. What else does it do? it protects me from the next person. Now I'm a member of Overeaters Anonymous and I've been a member of Overeaters Anonymous since February 2nd, 1979, 42 years ago. It'll be 43 years in February, but I have been a member of Overeaters Anonymous since February 2nd, 1979. Now, as many do, members of Overeaters Anonymous have gone out and eaten massive quantities of food. It protects me from them because in the presence of anonymity, I don't have to think that this has anything to do with me. That person didn't work their steps. That person didn't call their sponsor, that person ingested allergens into their body. An allergen is a material, an ingredient or food that triggers the allergy. What is that allergy? It's the physical craving for more of the same. So anonymity is a very, very important concept. It's in our traditions and it's in our tools. And the reason that it's in our traditions is because it's vitally important. And the reason that it's in our tools is because they're trying desperately to get 12 tools and they could only come up with nine and somewhere 7,000 feet below Michigan in a laboratory, that's only accessible by top secret government scientists. They are trying to come up with three more tools. So they threw anonymity in there as one of the tools. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But the bottom line is, Anonymity protects the society from me and it protects me from the society. Very, very important. And that's why it's mentioned here in the forward to the first edition. And when they talk about being deluged, that was kind of wishful thinking. They were hoping that that was the case. It wasn't the case right away. It became reality after the Jack Alexander article and after some different things came down and and so on and so forth. But at first, you couldn't give the book away. You couldn't give it away. And then that changed. All right, let's continue. We only have a couple of minutes. Oh, hey a we only have a couple of minutes left. So you thought we were going to finish this today? You were wrong. We're not going to finish this till probably next week because there's just a lot here. And as we go through these forwards, we're going to see a lot of history and a lot of very, very important information. And I hope that it will help you. I don't always get a lot of feedbacks. I, I do these things and then I go to Peter to Jungle and I go to lunch and I come back and then I uh, I always have to schedule time to feel sorry for myself. No, I always have have to watch college football or whatever college football is going to be over soon (laughs) i hate when it's over but anyway very very important information let's continue we're going to do one more little paragraph and then we'll be done for the day when writing or speaking publicly about alcoholism we urge each of our fellowship notice that fellowship is capitalized because it's very important to omit his personal name designating himself instead as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Very, very important that we hold to anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public forms of communication. Now, I want to say something to you that's very important, and I hope you will listen. This concept of anonymity is very misunderstood. Here are some things that tell me how it's misunderstood. Number one, somebody will say, you can't tell anybody who's speaking at that meeting, that's a break of anonymity. No, it's not. In AA, they announce all the time, the speaker will be Fred Smith or Fred S., from uh, Cincinnati, the speaker will be Mary J from San Antonio, Texas, the speaker will be Tony F from New York City, whatever it is. But in no way, they got into this thing where you don't tell who's going to be the speaker here or there. Would you go to the movie if you didn't know what movie was playing? Would you just decide to go to the, could be Psycho, could be West Side Story, could be Blazing Saddles, could be this, the history of the of the aluminum can. You don't know what you would you do that? I sure as heck wouldn't do it. And another thing about anonymity is, oh, you can't you know, the the groups can't start a bank account or the groups can't uh, get somebody to do this. There's nothing in the traditions that says that. Nothing, nothing. It's anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public forms of communication, including the internet, including that. Very, very important. We know each other's last names frequently. Many, many years ago, we went to see a guy. He was a member of our group in Chicago. His name was Chris. And he was in Michael Reese Hospital, which if you don't know the geography of Chicago, I'm all the way at 6400 North and Michael Reese Hospital is about 3200 South. Plus, I'm 3,100 West, and Michael Reese is right on the lake, right on, well, it's not there anymore, but right on the water. And we go down there, there's like four or five of us, and we're going to visit Chris in the hospital. Nobody knew his last name. We couldn't, we couldn't get a hold of him. So we're calling his house to see if his last name is on the answering machine, and it wasn't. We went down there for nothing. Nobody had his last name. We went down there for nothing. And it was kind of silly. It was kind of silly. So anonymity needs to be understood. Anonymity can be misunderstood. So it's very, very important. Page x x i i i. So it's very important that we have that understanding that what anonymity is and what it isn't. So I hope that we've cleared some of that up. I hope that today has been helpful. We're going to stop. I hope that today has been helpful. And I never quite know, but I'm hoping that it was. I'm sorry that we're going really, really, really slow here. But this is a part of the book that demands very kind of detailed understanding, detailed um, perusal because there's just so much here that needs to be talked about. Now, before I turn it back over to either Maria or Sue or Nancy or whomever, before I do, I'm just going to remind you guys of some things. Number one, no food questions, no math questions, and no questions about the Oregon Ducks losing last night. That's too sensitive right now. It's a horrible thing, it's a tragedy, but we're gonna have to make do with what we have. And if you asked a question last week, we are gonna ask you to please step back and ask your question either next week or at the end of this. But if you asked a question last week, step back and let somebody who didn't ask a question come to the forefront no math no ducks no food and if you asked a question last week okay that should do it maria or sue or whoever or nancy J or whomever take it away thanks so much harlan and um, and if you can ask a question by raising your hand in the reactions button and we'll call on you accordingly. So over to Sue L is our who's our co-host and Sue is going to host our QA today. And Sue.